you our guest speaker this morning, Stephen Estock. Stephen is the coordinator of CDM, Christian Discipleship Ministries, uh, one of the wings, uh, denominational agencies of our um, denomination, the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. Stephen has served in churches in Birmingham, Alabama, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, now is serving uh like I said, as the coordinator at CDM. Stephen and I uh, have known each other now for 25 years. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for hanging out with me. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going on the silver anniversary tour uh, later, later this week. Anyway, um, it's been great to have him and Sue Jakes uh, with us this weekend. Stephen, thank you. Thank you. As I travel around the denomination, a lot of people, when I'm introduced and they say, hey, Stephen Estop from... Christian Discipleship Ministries, many people go, well, you know, what is that? And so what I like to do is I introduce or begin to preach. I like to sort of give you a, a brief lesson in church government in the PCA. All right, so wake up a little bit. You'll get this here. In our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, there are three levels of church government. There's the session, there's the presbytery, and then there's the general assembly. Now, just like... At the local session, the ministry of the church is often done through teams or committees. I've heard y'all talk about the women's ministry team and the children's ministry team, worship team. That, that's how it's... Same thing at Presbytery and at General Assembly. Now most people understand mission to the world. How many of you have heard of mission to the world or MTW? Okay, that's, that's usually the case. Now, MTW is a committee of the General Assembly that helps the local church do international missions. Then you have Mission to North America that is another committee that helps the local church plant churches or do mercy ministry or do chaplaincy ministry. Many people have heard of RUF, Reform University Fellowship. That's a committee of the General Assembly who helps the local church Make disciples on the college campus. What committee of the General Assembly helps the local church make disciples within the congregations? That's CDM. So what we do is we help local churches do children's ministry, youth ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, older adult ministry, and leadership training running through all of that because that's what happens in the local church. Now, a lot of times that local church, they know a lot about what they're doing and they know their context. So what our job is, is just to come and connect. We connect the people of the local church with other people in other local churches so that this church is maybe trying to do something or they're, how do we do this better? They don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's our job to keep in touch with what's happening out there in the rest of the domination, and then rather than Richard calling every church, he can call us and we can sort of share what we've learned. Sue Jakes, go ahead and stand up, Sue. Sue is our coordinator for children's ministries. And so she travels around, does training, keeps in touch with what's going on in children's ministries. So that's what CDM is. If you want to know more, there's a table out there. You can sign up. You can. We have... We're trying to do more electronic communication, a newsletter. We have, if you're in women's ministry, you've got the Encourage blog. It's something that's a number of PCA writers who are women who are just writing. It comes out twice a week, I believe, just encouragement for you as you go through the week. It's uh, 
great ministry with that. I didn't come up with the idea. They just brought it to me and I said, great idea, run with it. And that's where it is. So if you want to know more, be happy to answer your questions. But today, I get the privilege of leading you in understanding, opening up God's Word. So if you have your copy of the Lord's Word, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78. It's a long psalm, but we're only going to look, concentrate on the first eight verses of Psalm 78. Years ago, I read an article in World Magazine, and it, it caught my eye because I remembered when, where I was when we got the news that the wall was coming down in East Germany. It happened in 1989, and since the Iron Curtain fell, some of you may have been over there, there's great freedom in crossing the border. And this particular article looked at an incident that was happening along the Czech-German border. So since the wall fell in 1989, anyone or any animal can cross across, go across the Czech-German border. But there is a group or a species of red deer who live in that area that refuse to cross the border. Formerly, that border was marked with three electric fences and armed guards. None of the deer who are alive today were alive back in 1989. But they still refused to cross the border. Scientists, as they've studied this, they've watched the deer, and here's, the, here's how the deer operate. The deer, when they are born follow in the steps of the elders. And the elders back in before 1989 would have avoided the fences as they set their range of where they would travel. And so when they had little baby deer, they would teach the deer. And so what happens is the fawns would tr follow the parents for one year, learning where to go. And that sets the course for that deer's life. And so that practice is passed on even after the fences are gone. Shaping influence of the generations. That's the theme of Psalm 78. It's an instructive psalm. It takes us through the history of Israel from Exodus to David. And it's a picture of the experience and the responsibility of all God's people. There are 72 verses. Be thankful. I'm not going to read all of them. I'm just going to read the verses 1 through 8. And then I'm going to refer to others as we go through the message. But note first there in verse 1, right at the beginning, give ear. Understand that in the Hebrew text, give ear means more than just listen. It has the idea of listening and then acting. Follow along with me as I read Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known 
that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and forget, not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Join me again in prayer. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things You have for us in Your Word. Lord, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, bring to mind aspects of our lives and then use Your Word to shape us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. O Lord, by Your goodness and grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O God. For You are our strength, You are our Redeemer. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But Your Word, O Lord, stands forever. Bless Your Word to our lives now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, as was in the month of May, I was preparing and I came across a YouTube video. It was one of those man-on-the-street type interviews and it was on a beach in California. And so what it was is they were asking everybody a question and the question was this. What is Memorial Day? Now, I know we're here close to a military installation, so my guess is many, if not all of you, know what Memorial Day is, but I'm not going to embarrass you by making you tell me, but that was the question. What is Memorial Day? It was interesting that so many people in this interview had no idea. People from different ages, people from different races, there was a man in his 20s who was asked, what is Memorial Day? He said, I'm from Chicago. We don't celebrate that. <laughs> Another one said, oh, Memorial Day is just some bogus holiday. A woman in her 30s, she replied, I've been out of school for 15 years. I don't know. Now the commentator, as he was sort of bringing all this together, he said, many people, and this is so true in our culture, many people say Memorial Day is the beginning of summer. He went on to say, the problem of people not understanding Memorial Day, which by the way is when we remember those who have given their lives in service to our country, the reason why people don't understand, it, the problem is not our schools. The problem is us. We have lost appreciation. And we failed to share that 
with the generations to follow. Many of us slip into this idea that it's just the start of something. Now that was convicting as I watched that video. And I started to think about how do I not, do, not carry it on. But that dynamic of it plays out in the life of faith. Our appreciation for the work of God and what He's done in our lives, it can wane. And we fail to pass on the facts of God's work and also the meaning of God's work. And what happens is the next generation grows cold as the impact of what God is doing, as that impact on the current generation wanes, the next generation begins to pursue another path. What happens then is the older generation begins to, in effect, curse the younger generation and say, why don't those people do it like we used to do it back in? You know, fill in the blank. Or why are they doing it? Why are they understanding it this way? Why don't we just go back to the good old days and we begin to curse. But yet, at the same time, when we say that, we're blind to our own refusal to tell the story of God's of the faith that we have in God. The ways that God has worked in our life. That's why God gives us Psalm 78. Because Psalm 78 is a call to action. By nature, we as men and women, our human nature, we grow complacent. We fail to pass on the faith. And so this psalm comes into our lives, no matter how old you are, and says, pass on the faith. Pass on the facts of what God has done. Pass on the facts of what God has done in your life. Pass on the meaning, the way it shapes your life. And that understand, that was the experience of Israel. Throughout their history, in this history that the psalmist presents, the psalmist challenges him to keep the faith going. And so there's this instruction. And he brings up there in Psalm or verse 2, it says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings. Now some of you know that Jesus quotes this in Matthew 13. And a lot of times you look at it, dark sayings, ooh, that must be negative. That's not the meaning here. Rather, what's happening here is by dark sayings, what the psalmist is saying is things that are not necessarily obvious. They require reflection and explanation. Illumination by the Holy Spirit. And so we're called, again, no matter what age you are, to pass on the faith. And to do that, to meet that challenge, we have to understand the need, the opportunity, and the consequences of passing on the faith. What's the need? Well, you could sum it up this way. The need is our fallen, forgetful state. We share the nature of Adam, and the evidence is seen that what is known becomes unknown. Verses 2 and 3. We are prone to forget the great things of God. And we forget it in two ways. Either we no longer recall the facts. For example, we forget the Bible stories. We forget what God did among the Israelites. We forget what God did in the early church. We just no longer recall them. Or another way that this applies is the facts that we may remember no longer shape our life. And that's a failure to remember. 
Think about it. And the psalmist brings this out. Israel saw great acts of deliverance. But then he goes on later in verse 11 and says, they forgot God's works and wonders. And that's why the psalmist says, we must tell the story again and again and again. Verse 6, each generation needs to know. And now understand also, not only do we have to tell what happened thousands of years ago, but we also have to tell how those facts thousands of years ago, shape how we view God and how we live before God today. That's what we're called to do, but what happens is the known becomes unknown. It's part of the need. But another need is seen in the wayward path. Verse 8, Fallen man is prone to be stubborn, to rebel, to be unfaithful, There's this constant pull because of our sin nature to be independent from God. We get to the point that, oh yeah, I need God in the really difficult times, but you know what, things are I can handle this. By nature, we do that. It's seen throughout history, especially the history of Israel. I think about my own parenting. Now, I remember seeing it in my children's life. I have a very, very vivid reminder of my oldest child, who's now 22 years old. When he was young, we, had, we did the child-proofing our home where we had the little covers on all the plugs. And then, so we were good parents, that's what good parents did. <clears throat> but yet, we would pull the, plug out, the cover out and then plug it in, especially we had to vacuum the carpet. Well, one time, I don't know if it was me, I don't know if it was my wife, that doesn't matter, but the plug cover was out. And my child, who was maybe three, four, made a beeline for that plug. And I have a vivid memory of him standing at that plug and doing this. And I remember telling him, don't touch the plug. He looked at me and kept the finger going. (laughs) Now, I'll be honest. In my mind, I was thinking, I hope he gets really shocked. (laughs) That's where I was not a good parent. (laughs) But then I also thought, no one taught him to do that. No one said, okay, son, come here and look and touch your finger there. No, we were telling him. No one told him and taught him to say, when mommy and daddy say, don't do it, you do it anyway. Can I get an amen from these guys over here? All right? Have y'all ever done anything like that? Okay, I won't make you say that. But the thing about it is, no one taught him to do that. He just did it. That's common to our fallen nature. And that's why we need to tell of the great things of God. Verse 9 and following, the psalmist reviews all the waywardness of Israel. But yet he also reviews God's provision in the midst of their waywardness. That's why we confess our sin week after week. It's not to wallow in our guilt. No, it's to recognize weekly we need deliverance. And God has provided that in Jesus Christ. And we tell that to ourselves and we tell it to the next generation. That's keeping the faith. Yes, the need is great, but we also need to understand the opportunity that we have 
It is our divine calling to share and pass on the faith. Keeping the faith is God's gift to us. Verse 4, God entered man's experience with glorious deeds and glorious wonders. And then verse 5, He established a testimony. And what that meant is He established a revelation about Himself, and particularly He established the law which presented His righteousness, but He also established a testimony where He called His people to remind each other to celebrate all that He had done. His person, His work. How He made man to live. Verses 6 and 8. That was a gift to be passed on. That was a gift by which man can overcome a life of futility. It's a gift, a path to wholeness and peace. Of course, that testimony in law is what we have now in Scripture and the full revelation is in Christ. Why is it that the Scripture is so prominent in our worship services and in our studies together? It's because God has revealed Himself. And we want to show how the stories of God's work, the stories of His character, the revelation that He gives, filters throughout our life. What He did, what He's doing. And that becomes a grid by which we live day by day. That's a gift that God has given us. But there's also this idea of our responsibility to pass on. And it's seen in the structure of the preface there in right at the beginning of Psalm 78. The structure is this way. You listen, you remember, and you tell. Listen. It means you consider the stories of the great things of God, and you resist hardening your heart to them. Now, How do we sometimes harden our heart? A lot of times it comes in the idea of, yeah, I've heard this before. Years ago, when I was a pastor, in my early pastoral ministry, there was a, we were trying to re, regrow a women's Bible study. And I was in a congregation that had a a lot of older people. I, in fact, I was the same age as the, their grandchildren. And I remember we were trying to get this going. We were trying to build this idea of relation, relational Bible study where we had a Bible text and then they would share together. We were trying to get multiple generations involved. And so we were inviting all the women and there was personal invitation. And there was an elderly member, I, can't, I think she was in her at least late 70s, maybe early 80s, her husband was an elder, not active on the session at that time, but he was an elder. And I noticed that she had not signed up. And so I came to her and I told her, I said, you know, I noticed she hadn't signed up. Please come join the group. And she was nice. And she said, no, I'm not going to be a part of it. And I went on to, you know, tell me why. And her answer went something like this. I've gone to Bible studies my whole life. I really don't have a need. So what she was saying is, the Word of God really didn't need to be in her life. She had lived and studied long enough. 
Also, she was saying, I'm really not wanting to participate in the lives of the younger women in our congregation. I'm not going to tell the story of what God had did. Now, the interesting thing, as her pastor, I knew that this lady had gone through horrible things in her life. And in fact, that, in that time, she was going through a horrible process. Her life was filled with pain. But the way she dealt with it was a shell of self-reliance. We must listen and remember, which means it goes beyond bringing the facts to mind. It means including actions where the facts of what God has done, what God has revealed in Scripture, it shapes our life. Reading Bible stories is just a history lesson unless we also consider how should we then live in the light of what God reveals and tells us about Himself. We listen. We remember. We also tell. We speak of the things of God to others. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we're shy. Sometimes we feel like, oh, they might oppose us or they might not like Sometimes we're worried about being obnoxious. Sometimes I've even seen this in the case of an older person refusing to deal with a younger person because they think, well, they might think I'm obnoxious. It's so funny. I go to churches and I talk to the young group and we would love to have older, have older people speak into our lives. We just want to hear how God has worked in their lives. And then you have these older people. I would love to share my life with another person. But you know what happens? They never cross the bridge. They're so worried about how the other one... And what I tell them is, look, if you, want, if you think you're a spiritually mature person, you take the initiative. And if you don't think you're a spiritually mature person, well, you've got to begin becoming spiritually mature by spending time in the Word and learning more about God. And you can do that by sharing with other Christians. So it's a win-win. <laughs> We're to remember... We're listen, remember, tell. And in considering these opportunities, we realize our high calling. God makes Himself known through human agents. That's what Paul picks up on in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, as it were, making His appeal through us. But we also understand in as we're sharing the faith and what God has done in our life, it really doesn't matter. Even teenagers, you sharing how God has worked in your life, that blesses the older generation. And teenagers sometimes can speak into the lives of the smaller children. When they won't listen to their parents, they'll listen to you because you are cool in their eyes. Tell the story of what God has done. We understand our need. We understand the opportunity. But also consider the consequences. And You could boil it down this way. There's the path of blessing and the path of curse. Early in Israel's history, and this is recorded in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, God gave a command to His people. They had come out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They went to Mount Sinai. Then they made that false attempt to go in the promised land. They doubted God. They had to wander for 40 years. And finally, they were right on the verge of going into the promised land. And God said, 
In Deuteronomy, here's what I want you to do. After you enter into the promised land, you're to set up large stones with the law of God written on them. Six tribes are supposed to be on Mount Gerizim, and they're to speak the blessings of following the law. And then six tribes were to be on Mount Ebal, and they were to speak the curses of the law, of not following the law. And so what happened is the people in doing that were to become living illustrations of the two paths. The relationship, living in the relationship of God, living in the covenant responsibilities and blessings. You, you ex experience the great blessing of God. That's the path to know the blessing. And if you live as if you're not part of the covenant, if you refuse to follow, that leads to curse. And these two alternatives are seen throughout Scripture, especially in Psalm 78. The blessings of faithfulness. Verse 7, keeping the faith means the generations set their hope in God. Going down in verse 9 and following verses, it tells stories. It tells stories about how God delivered His people. God provided for them manna, water. He led them in safety. God provided His divine care for all who trusted in Him. And then there's the curse of neglect. Verse 8, there were times of an unfaithful spirit where they tested God, where by their words and by their actions they're saying, does God really care? Or can God really provide? And the times... There were times when the circumstances that they faced, it dimmed their faith and they began to trust in idols. They would try things that they could control, things that they could see. We do the same thing today in our lives. What happened is God gave them over to life without Him. Yet even in the darkness of the curse, and the psalmist brings this out, Always running with that was the hope of divine compassion. If you read on down to verse 22 and 23, the people did not trust in God. And what did He do? He provided manna. Verses 37 through 39, their hearts were not steadfast. What did God do? He showed compassion and pardoned their iniquity. In verses 59 through 72, they rejected his divine rule and sought to have a king. What did God do? He provided David, the shepherd king. What do we do with that? Those rays give us hope that as we stumble in keeping the faith, we know this. God's compassion never fails. That gift of David pointed to the greater king, that greater shepherd king, whose provision leads to our pardon. John Thurman lived in the 1840s. In fact, according to historical records, John Thurman preached the first sermon in Marthasville, Georgia. And he owned about 20, 200 acres in the Marthasville, Georgia area. 
And because the railroad was coming into Marthasville there in the early 1840s, he was worried about how the railroad would affect his family. So he sold the 200 acres there in Marthasville, bought a horse and buggy, and became a preacher. Traveled to West Georgia, around Carrollton, Georgia, and started church and was sort of a circuit rider preacher for the Methodist church in the 1840s. Now, John Thurman's life wasn't perfect. Among his descendants, there was early death, there were divorce, there was sexual sin, mental illness. There was also times where unbelief, as well as unbelievers coming into relationship with him and his descendants, and they came to faith. But the story of God's goodness was always told. Covenant children matured. Unbelievers, again, were converted. John Thurman preached the first sermon in Marthasville, Georgia, in the early 1840s. A few years after he left on his horse and buggy, Marthasville, Georgia, was incorporated with a new name, Atlanta. John Thurman is my great-great-grandfather. And I'm convinced that because of his faithfulness and his prayers, I'm a preacher in Atlanta, Georgia today. It is God's faithfulness. It's through that part of my family, my mother's side of the family, that my spiritual heritage lies. My father was one of those people who did not know Christ, but he came into relationship with John Thurman's descendants, and he came to know Christ. And now, all of my mother and father's children know Christ and are serving Christ. God works to preserve His story. His story of salvation. His story of reaching into brokenness and making something great. We have a role in that story. We must keep the faith. But as we obey, God is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, earlier we sang how firm a foundation You've given us that great, great gift. Oh Lord, so often we fall. We don't see the great privilege we have. Oh Lord, open our eyes. Soften our hearts. Renew our zeal to tell the stories of Your greatness. And Lord, bear fruit through that for the glory of Your name. Amen.